Mary, Mary Force be with you? This is just temporary. It's, it's not going to be on later. Um, uh, and Felix Navidad, if you're watching us via live stream also, we're just going to say Merry Christmas in all different languages. So if you know another language in, to say Merry Christmas in, feel free to shout that out as well. Um, but it is good to be in the house of the Lord, to be with you all this, uh, this morning uh, to worship uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, certainly you have uh, plans, uh, I'm sure, uh, whether last night, if you had perhaps a long night, or perhaps you have a long day ahead of you, uh, but it's a good time just to, re- just to pause, uh, slow down, and to just focus on Christ, who is God's gift unto the world for our salvation. And so we want to uh, make much of him, we want to worship and glorify Jesus Christ for what he has done for us, and coming uh, from his holy fellowship in the Trinity and coming into the world uh, to, to save us from our sins. Um, a little bit later, we are going to uh, have communion. just wanted to make sure you were aware of that. But we're just going to uh, just jump in and just begin worshiping the Lord this morning. So let me open us up in a word of prayer, and then we'll begin with our, worst, our first uh, song of worship. Uh, Father, we are, we are just uh, overjoyed uh, for this great gift that you have given unto us, Jesus Christ, our Savior. It is our desire to to come and draw near before you, to worship him, to glorify him, to magnify him for what he has done for us. Uh, Father, we pray that our time together would be just full of celebration, that we would be filled with joy, and that we would also be filled with great gratitude for what Christ has done for us. May you be honored and glorified in our time together. And may we also rejoice in just spending uh, this morning together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And let's do just that. Let's, let's stand and worship this morning. <clears throat> Amen. Amen. Let the glory. Let the glory of the Lord forever be our joyous lord may redemption be the theme of our song for by grace we have been saved lord and by grace we shall proclaim to the corners of the earth that christ is come let the nations be glad
worship you and today we come together as a body as a church magnifying your son magnifying this child that you sent here on earth to save us who were undeserving of your salvation But in that love, you have provided us a Savior. And we worship you and we thank you, Father, for that. And today we come together to rejoice and to celebrate just that. Jesus, our King. May we continue in worship now, Lord, in your word. And may you be glorified in all that we do this morning. We praise you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Amen. Man, our passage this morning is found in Luke 29, sorry, Luke 2, chapter 2, verse 29. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I would invite you to turn there with me. Again, Luke chapter 2, reading verses 29 to 32. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we desire to give our thoughts to you this morning. Lord, during the busyness of the holidays, We pray that by your spirit that you might help us to take the brief moment that we have this morning uh, to just cast our minds and our hearts upon the Lord, that we may give thought to what Christ has done for us, that our hearts may be filled with joy, and that, Lord, that we might leave here with a greater sense uh, of gratitude for what you have done. And with a desire to do what what you might command us to do, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What is 
one thing that you could not wait for, whether it's, it might be something, anything in your lifetime, whatever that thing was, maybe you can give thought to something that you just absolutely could not wait to receive or maybe get to an event or a particular experience, whether perhaps a, a vacation, perhaps a, a job promotion, something that it only heightened your sense of anticipation the closer you got to whatever this thing was. In the passage this morning, there's a man named Simeon who was a priest, and he was waiting for something, something he could not wait to receive. And certainly, to some degree, we can all resonate with something, with those feelings, For him, he had received a word at some point in his life that he would not depart from this world until he actually saw the Lord's salvation with his own eyes. So that moment has finally come, and then he has these words to say concerning this child, this salvation that God has gifted unto the world. And Simeon's response has a lot to tell us about this child who's been given unto the world. And so what I want to do this morning is to to focus briefly on the words of Simeon as he describes this salvation that's been given unto us, particularly the last two sentences of this passage. Because again, it tells us a great deal about this child that he holds in his hands. And to him, this was, firstly, an amazing Sight to behold. Again, he says, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And he, and he finishes by saying that this child that he's holding, this baby, this salvation, is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. What exactly does this mean? What does it mean that this Savior is a light for revelation to the Gentiles? Jesus our Savior would go on to carry this particular description, describing to himself this light, that he is this light of the world. For example, in John 8, 12, he says to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John chapter 1, it says that in him was the life, and the life was the light of men. Also in that same chapter, it tells us that Jesus is the true light that has come into the world, which gives light to everyone. In Matthew 4, it tells us that a people once dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, that those dwelling in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So passages like this and many others, Jesus and the scriptures themselves seem to sort of liken Jesus to like this dawning sun that breaks the darkness and ushers in a new day. And interestingly, the Old Testament has some similar things to say, (coughs) excuse me, about Jesus. I don't think I've ever sneezed during a sermon before. This is new. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3 It says, a nation, speaking of the people of Israel, but it says that the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. So that a light will dawn upon the people of Israel 
And this light must be none other than Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. And it says that he will draw people to his brightness, which is consistent with what Jesus says in John 12, 32, where he says that he will be lifted up and he will draw people to himself. Isaiah 49, 6, it says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servants to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So here in the passage, there's a connection between light and salvation. That God will bring this light, and this light will be for the nations, that this light will be a salvation that will reach to the end of the earth. So it's not just for the people of Israel, but will be for all the peoples of the world. That this salvation will extend even to them. And this passage is actually quoted later on in the book of Acts by the Apostle Paul when he considers his own ministry and that being a ministry that is mainly focused on preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And he says concerning his own ministry that his ministry is one that is characterized by bringing light and salvation to the ends of the world. And then Later on in the, in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul continues with his preaching of the gospel, and he says that the Jews or the Israelites, they reject the word of God and they thrust it aside and they make themselves unworthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ because of their rejection. And then he continues in Acts 26, verse 23, speaking of the gospel that Christ might suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he will proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. So Paul is saying that Moses and the prophets had predicted that the Savior would come, die, and rise again, and that he would then go on to pray, to proclaim or to preach light to the ends of the world, or in other words, to come, that he would come and preach salvation, that he would preach the gospel. So the ministry of Jesus is characterized as a proclamation of light or a preaching of light. And so when Simeon says that this child given unto us is a light for revelation to the Gentiles, it is dense with so much meaning because this Savior is the light of the world. And that those who embrace this Savior also not just, not just walk in his light, but they also have his light in themselves through faith. So that they themselves, wherever they go, will also walk in light. But to heighten our understanding of the significance of what Simeon says concerning this child, consider also the camp of Israel in the Old Testament. The people of Israel were of one people under the presence of God, under the, the love and the grace of God. And it was considered to be a fate worse than death to be, to be thrown out or be, to be cast outside of the camp. Because outside of the camp, meaning it means that you are then out in the world. You're no longer a part of this people who have been privileged with the very presence of God. When the Old Testament priest would offer a sacrifice to atone for the sins of God's people, he would have a scapegoat, place his hand on that scapegoat, which meant the transferring of the sins of God's people onto this scapegoat, and the scapegoat was not allowed to remain in the camp, but was cast outside of the camp because 
Sin has no place within the people of God where God's presence dwelt. The world was considered to be the world under the dominion of the devil. So to be cast out of the camp was to be essentially handed over to the darkness of the world because they understood that the presence of God was in their mess. And certainly the presence of God is everywhere because he is omnipresent. But the presence of God is dwelling with his people in a different degree, in a different manner than it does in the rest of the world. For them, it was the love and the compassion, the grace of God. So considering all these things, putting them all together, what we learn is that God does more than just illumine his light from the heavens upon the world. He does much more than that. What he does instead is that he actually sends his light into the darkness of the world. This babe that Simeon is holding in his hand is the light of the world who has come to bring his light and salvation to the ends of the earth. The Apostle Paul himself would say about his own ministry that he was called by God to open the eyes of the Gentiles that they might turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they might receive forgiveness of their sins. So this proclamation of salvation, this proclamation of light, its purpose is to bring about the forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ. Proclaiming light, a light that transfers people from darkness to the light, from the power of Satan to the power and dominion of God. When you consider these things and you consider what it meant to be cast out of the camp, consider what Jesus had done on our behalf that Jesus, in his holy fellowship and trinity in the heavens, in this camp of fellowship, with his perfect love, perfect unity, and that he would then step outside of that camp of fellowship in order to bring himself to those who are lost in the world and not only bring them into the light, but also to invite them and make it possible so that those who embrace him are also made a part of that holy fellowship in Trinity within God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is what it means when Simeon says that this is a light for revelation to the Gentiles, a light that is intending to bring salvation transfer people from darkness to light, place light within them through the gospel of Jesus Christ, take them out of the camp of the world and bring them into the camp of the holy fellowship of God. And there's more. Simeon also says that this revelation, that this child is for glory to your people Israel. So Jesus is the glory of Israel. Isaiah 46, 13 says something similar. It says, I bring near my righteousness that is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion or in Israel for, my, for Israel my glory. So here it says that God will put his salvation in his people and that he will also put his glory in his people. So in a way, they're both the same thing, salvation and glory, both coming from God, pointing us ultimately to Jesus Christ. And consider how... God advantaged his people of Israel. So, for example, in Romans 9, 4, 
So it says, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the giving of the law, the worship, the covenants. To them belong the patriots, and from their race, according to the flesh, it's a Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. So in these different ways, God blesses his people. He advantages them by giving them all of these things. And then consider also what it says in 1 Samuel 4.21. This is soon after Eli the prophet dies. The ark of God is taken away by foreigners in a battle. And Eli's daughter-in-law has a child soon after her husband is also lost. And it says, and she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. The Israelites, the ark of God, was the very place where the presence of God dwelt. And so for the ark of God to be taken out of the camp of Israel and gone into the world is they're losing their glory. They're sort of a left to themselves, alone, destitute. It's as if they have now become a part of the world And the presence of God would soon after return, but later on through disobedience and rejection and sin, the presence of God would be taken away in a much more permanent way. But then we see that the presence of God returns to the people of Israel, but not in a way that it ever has before, but instead the presence of God now returns in the person of his son Jesus Christ. So the glory has returned and so all of the advantages, all the privileges, essentially have their culmination in the person of Jesus Christ. For he is their glory. He is the fulfillment of the hopes given to the patriarchs. He himself is the new covenant between God and man. He is the promises of God incarnate. He is what the oracles of God ultimately pointed to. He is the divine word of God. He is the law personified. He is the presence of God made flesh. It is like receiving a gift each and every year, and each year it's one better than another than another, but knowing that there is a gift coming that will surpass all these other gifts. It's being told that one day you will receive a gift that nothing else will ever compare to. And Jesus is that gift. All the privileges, all the advantages are summed up in the person of Jesus Christ. So in this way, Jesus is the glory of Israel. And it's for this reason that Jesus Christ first preached his light and salvation to the Jews first. It's for this reason that the Apostle Paul and other apostles began to preach the gospel first to the Jews. Even though the Old Testament foretold that the Gentiles also would be recipients of this great and wonderful salvation as well. And part of it being because the Israelites, as we see also in, through the book of Acts, that the Jews would reject the gospel and thrust it aside, which then turns the gospel towards the Gentiles, that is, you and I. But ultimately, it, is always, it always has been intended for both which we see here in Simeon's words. Again, for he says, this is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So after many years of waiting, Simeon's hope 
becomes a reality as he beholds God's salvation in this helpless babe that he holds in his hands. And for us, having received that salvation through Jesus Christ, who is our light, that light is to us, secondly, an amazing sight to proclaim. This is a light that's been given to us, a light that we have within ourselves through Jesus Christ. And this is a light that we proclaim. Again, reflect on what Christ Jesus has done. Again, having perfect fellowship within the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son. We hate awkward moments. We might even despise awkward moments. We hate those awkward silences. We want to, at all, whatever we can, to avoid such moments. Whether it's the difficult conversation that we know we need to have, whether it is walking into a room where you can just feel a sense of tension, whether it's perhaps trying to strike up a conversation with somebody you've never met before, or whatever the case might be. We hate those moments. We try to avoid them. Now imagine the difficulty that Jesus Christ experienced. We love familiarity. We love being around those that we know and who know us. We feel comfortable. Jesus Christ himself, in within the fellowship of the Trinity, never had an awkward moment. There was no deafening, awkward silences. There was never any tension. There was perfect love, unity, fellowship, grace, compassion, mercy. I mean, it doesn't get any better than what Jesus has with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And then for him to then step into the world, into the darkness of the world, where it tells us in the Gospels, into a, stepping into a place where he knew that he would be rejected. Consider that for a moment. To leave all of that to come into the world, a place of darkness, a place of tension, a place of difficulty, a place of sin. And why? Why would he do such a thing? In most cases, we would never willingly step into a situation if we can be helped. We want to avoid awkward situations. But Jesus was willing to do it because he loved us. Jesus was willing to leave that because he loved us. you find yourself often feeling some sense of anxiety or awkwardness when it comes to preaching the gospel or evangelism, I'd encourage you to pray and pray, but pray in a specific way or pray for a specific thing. There was once a man who went to his doctor for a regular checkup. Everything seemed fine, just wanted to go for a regular checkup mid-60s, nearing retirement age. So he meets with the doctor, checks his vitals, everything that you would expect, and it's all done. And finally, he and his doctor sit down, and the doctor has a serious face. He says, listen, I have checked your vitals, and I'm concerned. You're in poor health. 
and you need to change. You need to cut down on the sugar. You need to eat vegetables. You need to quit smoking. You need to start getting some exercise because if you don't, I would, I would, I would gamble my life to say that you're probably going to die within five years. And he nods his head. He said, yep, I, I understand. I get what you're saying. Appointment's over. Heads home. And he doesn't really care all that much. Doesn't care enough to change. He understands the doctor's words, but he's not really compelled. Doesn't really, in a way, doesn't really believe him. Goes to his house. His wife is there. His wife asks him, how did, the, how did the appointment go? And he doesn't withhold anything. He says, well, this is what he said. He's concerned. I need to change. And his wife immediately gets on her knees and cries and begs and pleads for him to change. Please, I beg of you, do what the doctor says. Please, I beg of you, do what he's telling you to do. And the man changes. He makes a commitment then to change his ways, to start exercising, to start eating more vegetables, to cut down on the sugar, to do whatever he needs to do. But what's the difference? Why change? I mean, just moments ago, I mean, he just spoke to an expert who told him, listen, you're going to die within five years if you don't change. I mean, this guy knows his stuff. I mean, he's a professional. This is why he gets paid the big bucks. He's gone to school for this. He understands what he's talking about. He's serious. He's not going to lie to you. And yet he leaves there, I don't really care. And he goes to his wife, who's not an expert, and not as knowledgeable as the doctor is, but she's begging and pleading for her husband to do what the doctor says. Why does he change when his wife tells him to change and he doesn't change when his doctor tells him to change? And the difference is love. To some degree, sure, the doctor cares for his patient, but there's always a sense of professionalism. He's not gonna, you're not going to expect your doctor to get on his knees and beg and cry before you and compel you to change your ways because you're going to die soon if you don't. But someone who loves you, on the other hand, yeah, you would actually expect that because they love you. Because they're grieved at the thought that you could only have five more years left of life. They want to spend more years with you. Love is the difference. And it's always difficult, it's always awkward when it comes to proclaiming this light to others who don't have this light within themselves. But this is why we pray and we pray for love. If we wish to share the gospel boldly, increase your love for the lost, because it is love that will push past the awkwardness and get to the matter at hand. Love is what produces boldness. Love is what makes one willing to take risks. Love makes one willing to put their social capital on the table and risk losing some of it and not all of it. It is love that compels a person to unashamedly display a care and concern for others. And it's this love that compelled Christ Jesus to come to the darkness of the world, to go to the cross and die for our sins. And if Christ so much loved us, 
that he was willing to do this. And let us also pray for that same love for others so that we might have the boldness and the care and concern to share the gospel and proclaim this light to others. To conclude another holiday season, let us reflect once more upon our Savior's birth, who's been given, gifted unto us as our salvation, to reveal to us the way to eternal life. And as we do, let us rejoice in this light that's been given to us, and let us also invite others to come and behold this light with us. Amen. By way of response, we want to take communion together. And what, uh, what a good day, what a fitting day to take this communion as we think about this gift of salvation that's been given unto us, namely Jesus Christ. If you haven't done so yet, you're free to make your way to the back table. There are these small communion cups back there. Jesus commands us to take this meal together. And this meal points us to what Christ has done for us on the cross, where he was bruised, where he was beaten, and he shed his own precious blood to rescue us from our sins, absorbing the wrath of God so that all those who place their faith and trust in him might be forgiven of their sins, be invited into the holy fellowship of the Trinity, have salvation, have eternal life, and have a place secured for them in the house of God. This is what we reflect, this is what we rejoice in, this is what we celebrate, this reminds us of the new covenant that we've been placed under through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. So if you're here this morning, regardless of whether or not you are a member here at the church, if you have believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you have embraced Christ as your Savior, if your life is characterized by the holiness that God requires, not perfect sinlessness, but a walking in repentance, turning away from sin and turning towards the Lord, and you have received the baptism, then you are welcome to take this meal as a brother or sister in Christ. But if you have yet to embrace this Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then we ask that you not take this meal with us, for the Scriptures make clear that this is a meal given to the household of God. And as long as you're not a part of that household, then you remain outside of that camp, outside of that household. But consider what you have heard this morning. Consider the gospel of Jesus Christ, this light who's been given unto the world to rescue people from their sins and the just penalty of their sins. And if you embrace Christ Jesus as your Savior, if you confess him as your Lord and give your life to him, then you will be saved, the scripture says. That in the moment that you entrust your life to Christ, then you will be invited and given access into this holy fellowship with Christ and God. That you receive forgiveness of your sins. That you receive eternal life in a place in the house of God. I would ask that you would take the time to reflect on that message this morning and what this means for you. For we would not want you to remain outside of the house of God, but we would invite you warmly and lovingly to come and be a part of the household of God and trust your life to Jesus Christ by placing your faith in Him. 
And brothers and sisters in Christ, let us take a moment to reflect on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reflect on what Christ has done. Confess your sins before the Lord, but also trust in the forgiveness that Christ has purchased for you on the cross. So let us just take a moment to pause and reflect. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 11, and we'll take the bread, followed by another passage of Scripture. We'll take the cup, and then we'll pray, and then we will conclude with one more song. 1 Corinthians 11.23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Amen. Let us take this together. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Let us take this together. Father in heaven, you who are, who is the God of light, we praise you and we worship you for sending your light into the world in the person of your Son. And we thank you for the light that you have placed in us through our faith in the light. And Lord, we pray that you might help us to continue to walk in this light. We pray that this light that you have placed in our hearts would shine brighter and brighter until the day that we see this light face to face. And we pray, O Lord, that you might grow in us a love for those who have yet to believe in the gospel, that we would be willing to forsake our reputation, and anything else in order to share the gospel boldly. We thank you and we entrust you for all, we trust you for all of these things. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship. Amen.
Yeah, let's <clears throat> let us rejoice <clears throat> as we celebrate, right? Uh, Jesus, our Savior. Amen.
we, we worship you, Lord, for you're worthy of our praise. And as we have gathered here today, this morning, um, may we always, always be in awe, Father, of your glory. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for the glory and the salvation, Lord, that you have graciously gifted us in Christ Jesus, your Son. And may we now reflect that light that has been given to us through Jesus. Lord, I ask that we may be bold in sharing this love to the world. And may, we, may we love more, Lord, and let us proclaim this. Let us proclaim this miracle in obedience and with joy. And always for your glory. Amen. The word of God says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, God bless you. Merry Christmas. You're dismissed. Amen.